37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Alright, what's up everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Pixelated Paranormal. This here be episode 302. I, of course, am Sean. I'm drinking one of my final fleeting pumpkin beers of the year. And with me as always is Preston. Presto, how you doing, pal? What's up all you uh, cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos, you skeletors and skeletons, witchers and witchers, and I don't know, fuck, whatever you want to be. We don't give a fuck. Anyways... Uh, I hung up Christmas lights today mm. and uh, had to get on the ladder. I got about like five, ten feet down, and then the ladder was getting a little shaky. You know, I had my brother help mm-hmm. me hold it. So then I thought, okay, good. Why not just go out the window on top of the roof and because uh, <laughs> it's a covered porch, and then hang the lights from that way. And the house was built, and it's a farmhouse that was built in the uh, mid-70s, so the roof is not made for somebody with my dad figure. Um, But, like, a a rat (laughs) or a mouse, I figured out how to, like, suck my body in and just kind of push myself out the window onto the roof. (laughs) And uh, I got those goddamn Christmas lights hung, and uh, treated myself to a smoky German beer afterwards took mm. a little took a little nap and uh Damn. i made a pull i may have pulled a muscle in my ass cheek because my ass is a little sore now so uh-huh, uh-huh. you know what a pleasant day off i am going to try to get out and put up some christmas lights over the weekend as well myself because shayla has requested that i do so and i got the christmas tree up i got yeah, wowzers I got, man i got presents underneath the christmas tree so, Damn. it was my uh, it's my daughter's fourteenth uh, birthday. I'm a little, little sad about that. So, yeah, you know. yeah. That's why we're uh, one day late to our normal streaming. Presto, you guys are out celebrating Addie's birthday, rightfully so. Hopefully, she had a pretty good time. Did they manage to get out of the escape room on time? Yeah, she got she got out of the escape. You know, so uh, I don't know if you remember or not when uh, at our work function where we did the escape room together. You remember at the very mm-hmm. end where you get the safe open and then there's like a little instruction card and we struggled on mm-hmm. like the combination and the lady came in <laughs> yeah. and said flip it. Well, we ended up doing the same escape room and my memory sucks mm-hmm. anyway, so I don't remember half of what we did and then we got to the end and I'm just like, the fuck? What's the fucking combination of this thing? So I'm like, go hit the go hit the goddamn door button. And she came in. She's like, did you flip the <laughs> card over? And then in my mind, I'm like, amazing. I'm like, son of a fucking bitch. I'm like, go flip the card over. And then we got the diamond and we got out. And uh, but the kids had a good time. They they were excited. So awesome. And I uh, got my uh, the wife got my daughter some. Um, art supplies for her birthday so she got some uh, those acrylic paint markers she got some oil mm-hmm. some uh, oil supplies and a, a little uh, palette to put the oil paints on so uh, you know uh, I got my little Bob Ross in the making and then I ordered mm-hmm. some uh, cookie cutters because uh, I'm going to make Christmas ornaments out of clay and then saga fire mm-hmm. them uh, so I got Bigfoot, mm-hmm. I got some zombie gingerbread cookies, I got a UFO abducting a snowman, 
Uh, and then I got the parts to build my very own DIY Raku kiln uh, so I could blow myself up in the yard. So, all in all, there pr- we go. Productive day. Productive day. Look, guys, it's Santa Claus. No Bam. kids. That's Preston. He's yeah. currently on fire because he was firing Christmas ornaments again yep. in his white trash kiln. <laughs> that's cool, man. I'm really excited you're getting back into the clay. And uh, that's awesome that Addie's taken up after you as far as being an artist. Yeah. You mentioned Bob Ross earlier, and she certainly has the hair for it. <laughs> she does. She does. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, dude. Hell yeah. Yeah, uh, we still have Halloween decorations up. Those will come down this weekend, and we'll get Christmas uh, started to be put up, you know, over the next week for uh, Thanksgiving break. We have a lot of gnomes and little niecey elves and stuff like that, so I'm pretty stoked to get those back up. And boatloads of mushroom stuff, because contrary to what Captain Scott says, mushrooms are the reason for the season. Yeah. Well, we're back with episode two of our return of the Revenge of the Mothman series. But before we get into creepy, scary tales of more strange, hulking, winged entities, Preston, you got any news to share with us, pal? <laughs> yeah, hold on. Look, uh, speaking of amateur hour, let me get a bolt up here. God bless America. God bless America. It'll be quick, though, because it's the first thing that I saved in my news feed. So. <laughs> okay, fair. That's <clears throat> A scientist claims that humans found life on Mars 50 years ago and then killed it accidentally. Uh-oh. That's right. An astrobiology professor has claimed that life on Mars was discovered 50 years ago but quickly eradicated. Dirk Schultz Markuk A faculty member of the Technical University of Berlin has made the sensational claim saying we have we may have got lucky with discovering extraterrestrial life only to destroy it unintentionally. Prior to the Curiosity rover, NASA had launched the Viking program in the mid-1970s, sending two landers to the Martian surface. Uh-huh. That's where we got the face on Mars, in case you didn't know. The mission, ahead of its time, managed to offer the first glimpse of the Martian surface to humankind. Not only that, but the mission also performed biological analysis of its soil with the primary aim of unearthing indications of life. The findings in the mission contain numerous geological formations that were consistent with the effects of substantial water flows. The Martian uh, volcanoes and the slopes of it bore close resemblance to Hawaii, hinting at a prior exposure to rain. The lander also identified small amounts of uh, chlorinated organics initially believed to be contaminations from Earth. However, the subsequent Mars missions have confirmed the presence of native organic compounds of Mars, although in a chlorinated form. Once, the Viking experiments involved adding water to soil samples, water infused with nutrients and radioactive carbon. (coughs) It was introduced to the red planet's soil. The hypothesis stated that if there were potential microorganisms on Mars, they would consume the nutrients and release radioactive carbon as gas. Initial results indicated this radioactive gas emission, but the remaining results remained inconclusive. Schultz Makuk postulates that uh, they might <laughs> have overwhelmed the potential microbes, leading to their demise. Many of the Viking experiments involved applying water to soil samples, which may explain the puzzling results. Perhaps the Punitive Martian microbes collected for the uh, labeled uh, release experiments couldn't deal with the amount of water and died off after a while. 
It would be as if alien spaceships were to find you watching half dead, wandering half dead in the desert, and your would-be saviors decided uh, humans needed water. Let's let's put the human in the middle of the ocean to save it. Well, that wouldn't work, would it? Humanity has been searching for life on planets other than our home base to see if we can become interplanetary species. Mars has long been uh, touted as a potential candidate where this could be possible. Currently, the preservation rover is traversing through the rough terrain of Mars. It is part of an international interplanetary relay team created to unravel the secrets of our neighborhood planet. Around 2008, a sample retrieval lander is expected to be launched from Earth carrying a NASA-led Mars rocket and Small's Mars helicopter. The lander with, uh, will land near a crater near the rover and the rocks collected by their uh, per- Perseverance will be loaded upon the rocket. Notably, the lander needs to be close to Perseverance rover to facilitate the transfer of Mars samples and must land within 66 yards on the target. Ah, fuck it. That's boring. Whatever. Anyways, we killed, uh, <laughs> we killed uh, germs on Mars because we're assholes. It's what we do. Kill it all and then inhabit the remaining shell. Yeah. Well, to kind of set the tone, I got a couple quick news stories to share as well. First up in TV news, folks, if you just can't get enough of the Mothman, if we're not just not giving you enough, Bloody Disgusting reported that Mothman Prophecies film director Mark Pellington suggested at the Erie Horror Fest in Pennsylvania over the weekend that a Mothman Prophecies streaming series is being planned. That's right, folks. Potentially an episodic Mothman adventure. According to the website, the 2002 thriller became a cult classic that is responsible for laughing the Mothman into American folklore, even prompting Point Pleasant, where the cryptid creature originates, to hold an annual Mothman festival. Well, I'm going to say that uh, that film did not actually put uh, Mothman or Point Pleasant on the map, nor is it responsible for the uh, Mothman festival, but I, I digress. The movie, of course, is based off of the book of the same name, published back in 1975 by John Keels. See here. It chronicles a young reporter who's drawn to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to investigate a strange series of allegedly true events, including the collapse of the Silver Bridge. It's still debated whether Mothman is an omen to these awful events or not, but bloody disgusting reports there isn't any further information now other than a streaming service show is being planned. I think that'd be cool. I think that movie was a giant pile of poopy, and uh, I'd love to see somebody take another stab at it and actually have a little bit more moth and a little less man. Is it uh, is it because it had uh, Richard Gere in it? Is that why you didn't like it? You hate no, Richard I think Gere. it was fine. Fuck Richard Gere. I really he's, he's <laughs> a, I like Richard Gere. He's an overrated actor. Get the fuck out of here. I tell you what, I I mean, he is kind of like a dollar store Harrison Ford in a way, isn't he? I mean, look, his claim to fame is Pretty Woman, and then they just because he was like such a like hunk a hunk a hunk in that they fucking put uh-huh. him put him in every movie like they could after that. That's you true. know what? Get 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 the fuck out of here. The only movie that he was good in, <laughs> the only saving grace was The Jackal. And that's just because my main man uh mm-hmm. uh oh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hold on. It'll come to me. Uh Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Bruce Willis is in that movie. Otherwise, dude, Richard Gere can go get fucked. Fight me on that. Yeah, I don't care all day long. 
I said Harrison Ford, but I was thinking Kevin Costner. He's a dollar store Kevin Costner. Yeah. And that's the one. Because every time I think about Richard Gere, I'm like, oh, yeah, he was in Waterworld. No. No, he wasn't. Hey, you know what? I actually, <laughs> I actually like Waterworld. I I thought Yeah, it's that. solid food. Yeah. And uh, The Postman. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Postman's good. Yeah, when Kevin Costner does like off off the wall movies like that, they're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then you get Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where he's the only mm-hmm. person in Britain back in the Middle Ages to have an American accent. Feel the dreams? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Solid movie. Uh, what was that? Uh, God damn it. He was in that movie, something about the, the other daughter or, uh, where, uh, it, uh, the other wife. No, 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 no. So there was this, uh, it was, uh, oh, 2015, 2014, somewhere around there. He stars in, in this movie where, uh, his wife recently passed away. So h- him and his, uh, children move out to a farm like in Ohio where they have like the, the mounds. And uh, mm-hmm. so she, they, the children start exploring uh, the mounds, and she finds, like, this little wicker doll, and uh, they, it slowly possesses her, and there's, like, ant people um, inside the mound. It leads to an underground tunnel, and so they're basically changing her body because they need, they need a new female ant queen to reproduce. And, uh, dude... Kevin Costner is a fucking badass in that. There's this scene in the movie with the shotgun. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, dude. Like, that movie flew under the radar. Like, nobody has ever heard about it. Uh, go check it out. I mean, I, I Google it right yeah. now, but if I get my phone next to the mic, it's going to fuck everything up. So, <laughs> you know, just Google search, like, Kevin Costner, other daughter, the, 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 the not daughter, something daughter with Kevin Costner in it. I don't see anything in here. I do see that apparently there was a Field of Dreams Part 2 that came out, but I don't see any. There was a movie I was thinking of with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, like The Other Wife or something like that, where, like, he killed his wife and the ghost comes back or something like that. Hold on. Hold on. I've never heard of a film. um, The New Daughter. That might be it. That might be it. That could be it, yep. Yeah. Okay, I'll bookmark it. The New Daughter. Yeah, you should do yourself a favor. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, and go fucking watch it. I mean, you were were also very correct about that cannibal movie. What was that movie called? Um, Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. uh, Ravenous. Ravenous. Yeah. He's licking me. Yeah. That's a solid movie, man. Hell yeah. Well, it appears we also have another rabbit hole to go down because Lazarus just mentioned in the chat here that there are some pretty spooky things around the Mothman film and other people involved, too. Mysterious, spooky stuff. So we got to look into that, man, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, we should just hire Lazarus for free as a official producer <laughs> of the show. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an internship. It's unpaid, but what you uh, lack in money, you make up for in experience yeah. uh, by teaching us how to do our job. Yeah. yeah That's what we're telling you. You get paid for <laughs> in experience, Lazarus. Yeah. 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 And you can't buy that. Yeah. Okay. And our last bit of news, speaking of Mothman and speaking of daughters, watch how I bring this all the way back around. Kelly Miller, the daughter of the original sculptor of the famous Mothman statue in Point Pleasant, the one with the shiny little butt, man, you know, the one that shows that he's just got two canned hams pressed together back behind Mm -hmm. his wings, 
has recently teamed up with a digital design engineer to scan the statue and create miniature replicas of the famous sculpture. She said, my father made the statue. I'm really proud of it. And I know what he went through to make it. Real proud of his artistic talent. The team started the data collection process of 3D scanning the statue on Thursday. They said it takes anywhere from about a week to two weeks to be able to process all the data they scanned. It's a lot, a lot of data, a lot of files, and a lot of memory to process, so it takes a little bit of time. We got to spend some time to make sure that all the details in the model are exactly correct, and it'll probably take about 15 hours each to 3D print one miniature statue. They have to make sure they have it correctly to scale. Miller said she is aware of what the Mothman means to Point Pleasant, and she said that she's eager for people to be able to now take home such an important tenant of the community into their own homes. She plans on opening up a storefront for her business called Mothman Statue by Bob Roach on Main Street in Point Pleasant to sell replicas of the statue and other Mothman memorabilia. So that's pretty fucking rad. I just hope it's got those steel buns. Yeah. We still got to make that a, uh, a mission for the podcast to go out there and check that out sometime. Well, presto, buddy, let's jump into the main story. You've got a few speaking parts later on, but let's get right back into it tonight for part two of Return of the Revenge of the Mothman. Now, the series, of course, was spurred from the plethora of recent and more modern sightings of the bizarre large-winged humanoids, which, of course, are eerily similar to the general descriptions of what we know as the notorious Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. But strangely these newer sightings have been appearing farther and farther away from the old mountain state, and thus many of this episode's stories are tales that have been pulled from, and only lightly paraphrased in parts, from Tobias Whalen's book, The Lake Michigan Mothman, published back in 2019. And I also have a couple stories I sprinkled in here left over from last week's show that were pulled from the same guy's website, singular4tn.com. Now, because the book is already written so well, it's worth mentioning that we haven't really rewritten much, and some of what we have, we have to give official credit, or credit's due, to Tobias Whalen and his book, The Lake Michigan Mothman. And most of what we're sharing will be from the book's original context. And this book represents over two years of research by a dedicated team of investigators who have taken dozens of reports of weird winged humanoid sightings from around Lake Michigan and compiled them into a pretty nifty little book. Now, the phenomena described in these series of stories represent the continuation of a decades-long series of events that potentially span much farther, even past the first recorded encounters that were taken down from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, back in the late 1960s. And like I said on the last episode, we originally took a pretty deep dive into Mothman back on our 66th episode, which was our first cryptid encounter. But the world itself first heard of Mothman back in November of 1966, when a series of sightings of a large black-winged creature with glowing red eyes took place in and around Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And I also got to mention here, Preston, I don't think I realized until tonight, our original Mothman episode is number 66, which happens to be the same year when the first encounter happened. Oh, shit. Quinky dink. That's a singu- Quinky dink. Yeah, singularity, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the original sightings of Mothman ostensibly culminated 
in the terrible collapsing of the Silver Bridge, which spanned from the Ohio River between Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and the Gallipolis, Ohio. Crumbling on December 15th of 1967, where 46 people died when the bridge gave way during rush hour. But presto, buddy and dear listeners, what if the world hadn't actually been originally exposed to Mothman back in 1966? What if the creature's been around and maybe made itself a little more well-known much earlier than that? Well, it seems that a man named Gerald Therese, who's now well into his late 70s, may have met the winged nightmare back in the late 50s. Our first story was sent to Singular 14 back in August of 2020. He said, I realize this story's a little late, but I never knew who to tell until I came across a story about a man who recently saw Birdman at the O'Hare Airport. I'm 79 years old now, and this happened a long time ago. It was around 1957 when I was with my late brother Gene and his late brother-in-law, and we were hunting in Braidwood, Illinois, an area for pheasants and rabbits. While we were walking in this large open field, and there was a lone, large tree standing in the middle of the field. When we were directly underneath it, a huge man-sized creature sailed over our heads into the woods and across the road. We were stunned. We just looked at each other, too dumbfounded to even speak. I was a young teenager at the time, and it was early in the wintertime, mid-morning. The winged creature had the body of a large man with legs, but it was covered over the whole body with dark, tan-colored feathers. This happened so long ago, I don't recall what the face looked like, but I'm glad to tell this story to someone who has the knowledge of such creatures before I die. Now, he was asked if he had any other paranormal experiences, either before or since the sighting, and Therese said that he had an encounter at a U.S. Army station in Nike Hercules Missile Site in Northfield, Illinois, a few years later back in 1963. He said he was on guard duty at the time at our radar station. It was after midnight when I witnessed a UFO in the sky southeast of my location, maybe a mile away, around a thousand feet above the terrain. I watched it for a few minutes before I made a phone call to our command offices in Arlington, Illinois, to report what I was observing. I was contacted a few days later by Dr. J. Allen Hynek. This report was documented in Project Blue Book, and Dr. Hynek had told me that he was informed to tell me that what I saw was nothing more than a private airplane towing an advertisement sign. I doubt they would be flying at that time of night, and now there's no way a plane could even make such moves that I witnessed, and at the end of the encounter, the UFO just shot up into space as fast as a bullet. And what's strange here is, you know, of course, as records have been released many, many years later, a review of Project Blue Book case files did confirm the date as May 11th, 1963, and the official evaluation as being nothing more than a simple aircraft. The missile site, which was active from 1955 to 1974, is one of a half, I'm sorry, is one and a half miles south of the Chicago Botanic Garden and two miles west of Lake Michigan. 
Braidwood, where Therese and his wing, had his winged creature sightings, is approximately 70 miles southwest of the site. This is currently the oldest flying humanoid case to be recorded, at least in the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation. So even though the Silver Bridge collapsed and the Mothman flew away back in 1967, we know that this wasn't potentially the last time that we would see this creature, this giant winged titan of cryptids. So let's start our next journey just a few years after this horrible catastrophe and jump from 1967 over to 1969 on October 27th, where a young man named Floyd Hancock lay asleep in the small room he shared with his infant sister in his family's trailer just outside Rolling Prairie, Indiana. Recent damage to their home had left a hole in the living room ceiling that went clear through the roof which the family had covered with a tarp until it could be later repaired. Young Floyd awoke in the middle of the night to hear a strange noise followed by a disagreeable odor wafting through the air into he and his sister's room. And as he sat up in his bed, he also noticed a tall, winged humanoid hunched over his little sister's bed. Floyd froze in shock, taking in the full measure of the beast, as it slowly turned to face him. And he said the creature might have been somewhere between about seven and eight feet tall, but it was hard to tell with the creature being crouched over. But it had huge leathery wings and a muscular set of limbs that were very apparent. But what was also apparent was the creature's face. He said the creature's face had been thin and skeletal in appearance with sharp teeth and dark eyes. He screamed for his parents in the very moment, like any of us would have done. But of course, just like in any other good horror movie, his parents didn't come. Only Floyd's grandmother, who was staying with the family, responded when she heard his cries for help. But as soon as she arrived to the kid's bedroom, she was immediately frozen in terror by the monstrousness of this thing that stood before her, causing her to fall to her knees totally stunned. So with Grandma incapacitated, the great monster crossed the room towards the boy's bed, and then it picked up Floyd into its arms as his grandmother watched helplessly to prevent what was going on. Floyd was swept up and away by the winged beast, which then carried him into the living room and then out through the hole that was in the living room ceiling, and then off into the night. Floyd says he remembers being cold and wet as the creature flew higher and higher into the sky, and he could hear his panicked screams of his grandmother fading off in the distance. And then, after a short while, he couldn't hear anything else. Floyd woke up in his bed sometime later to the terrified faces of his parents and his grandmother. His parents had been put into some kind of strange hypnotic trance during the abduction, and only regained their senses after the monster had disappeared with their son Floyd. They waited in frigid anxiety for several minutes that seemed to stretch into an eternity, afraid to call the police with such a wild tale. Now soon enough, though, the frantic family heard scratching on the roof, followed by a solid thud. Floyd's father climbed up on top of the trailer through the hole to investigate the noise and found that Floyd was now laying there on the roof of the trailer, unconscious. 
He was brought inside, dried off, and then placed back in his bed. The family never contacted the authorities or sought medical attention out of sheer fear of the questions that could be raised. Now anyway, if we were to spring forward, even farther into the future, to August 2016, we had the story of Jonathan Lane. I mentioned his name on last episode, but it was too long of a story to tack on at the end of the last show, so here we are. Jonathan Lane, a 21-year-old Rockford, Illinois resident, recently contacted the Singular Fortean Society's lead investigator, Tobias Weiland, Weyland, back in late September 2020, to report a sighting of what Lane would later describe as a giant, shapeless black thing with two very large red eyes. Now, according to Lane, the sightings took place between 10.20 and 10.30 p.m., on August, back in 2016, sometime before the school year had started. Well, it was very late. My mother works nights because she's a nurse, so I walk, uh, walk her to her car every night, and I walked her out to her car, and she got in it and then left. Then, as I'm walking in up to the house, I hear a noise like, a, like screeching brakes or something, and I instantly look up. There's a big tree in our yard, and I see this giant, shapeless black thing, and it had two very large red eyes. And as soon as I made eye contact with it, it made that sound again. Instantly, it fills me with fear and intimidation. And I run into the house, and I start freaking out. The sounds was so weird, I can still hear it clearly in my mind. It's like a, a bird's call. Caca, tuki tuki. Kind of reminds me of the dinosaurs <laughs> from Jurassic Park. Maybe like the Velociraptors. The next day or so, when it was light, I went outside and I, I looked where the branch was and I tried to see where I'd seen the, uh, the top of it, where the blackness was compared to the tree, and it was pretty substantial. It would have been like nine feet tall. Shit, that's pretty fucking big. It was a large space. The wingspan <laughs> just faded into the darkness around it. It was shapeless. But the eyes were, well, I mean, they were red, but I didn't see a notch above its head where I could see the sky. What really bothered me were the red eyes and how far apart they were. It just showed me how large it was. <laughs> I'm glad that we got uh, Southern Redneck Preston back. Yeah. <laughs> like many witnesses, Lane was met with ridicule when he initially shared his story and kept it quiet for years afterwards at least until he saw the Small Town Monsters documentary, Terror in the Skies. There I was. Uh, my father was there, and I told him about it, and he started laughing and making fun of me. He's like, fucking idiot. Anyway, so I explained, <laughs> uh, since I, I, I've just kept my experience very private, although I told my sister about it once, and she told me I, I was a fucking idiot too. And I, I just never really forgotten about it. I never knew what it was, but then I saw that documentary. Terror in the skies, and it was just mind-blowing to see you guys talk about stuff like that, and I just wanted to reach out somehow. Have you ever watched any of the Small Town Monster documentaries, Presto? No. They're pretty solid. I ought to make a list of the ones we can get on YouTube for free and check those out. Otherwise, I think a lot of times they're streaming on Amazon as well. Anyway, approximately a year after his sighting of the red-eyed entity... Lane said he saw an unidentified flying object in the same area. 
Man, you guys won't believe this, but one time I was driving home with a friend of mine from work, and we were almost to my house. Uh, well, I mean, we were in the same area as that winged entity siding thing, and there was a lot of trees, and there was only a little section of the sky that opens up right above my house, and that's where the big tree is where the previous incident happened. Dude, this guy talks like a, or writes like a fucking redneck. Like, none of that, whatever. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was the same part of the sky. I'm not claiming it was anything uh, anything specific, but I saw a very prominent UFO. Very large, very prominent. I had my friend stop the car, and we got out, and I just don't know what it was. It was clear enough where I, I could see panels like windows, and it was scary. My friend, well, she's a bit younger than me. There's a joke to be made there, but I won't do it. She got very scared, so we had to leave. <laughs> Whatever that was, it was not normal. It was shaped like a pear. You know, it, it had probably a hundred windows all over, and it was all lit up. It was very weird how lit up it was. The whole thing was illuminated, but it had lines of light, almost like waves of light going through it. It's hard to explain. It's almost like it looked up and had white stripes through it, but it, it was an undulating movement. The very top of it was black, kind of like Mothman's head. And the very bottom of it was black, kind of like Mothman's body, but the center was illuminated, <laughs> kind of like Mothman's eyes. I could see where it was being lit up, and it was like miniature squares making up the whole object. That's why I said at the beginning of the episode, lightly paraphrased, because I have no idea what the hell Preston's going to do as he ad-libs these. These are quotes taken directly from the books or the website, and <laughs> Preston's having some artistic liberties. That's right. <laughs> Whatever he saw, Lane's sightings have definitely had an effect on him. Man, both of these things bother me very much. We, we have a, a huge picture window in our living room, and it, it has a hu- it's a huge pet peeve of mine to, to make sure those, thing, those, 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 those curtains are closed, overlapping, so nothing shows at night. I don't want Mothman peeking in on me, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, I had a room in the corner of the house nearby that tree, and eventually I had to move rooms. He added that despite his fears of doing so, it felt refreshing to express his experience to someone and that his main motivation for sharing them was to add credibility and make it easier for other people to come forward. Next up, we have the story of a woman named Paula. On April 20th, 2014, Paula was sitting near a window in the bedroom of a ground-level apartment near Lake Lynn Forest Preserve of Wakanda, well, that's kind of easy, isn't it? When she saw a bright beam of light come shooting down across the street around 11 p.m. It was so bright and defined. Jesus. The light, which lasted between 15 and 20 seconds, was an orange or gold color and didn't illuminate the surroundings, nor did it move much at all, making only slight side-to-side or back-and-forth motions. The light retracted at one point, only to reappear a moment later. Paula fell back onto her bed in shock. Oh my God, this thing sees me. I had the deepest feeling that this thing saw me. It knows. (laughs) The light retracted a final time and then was gone. I heard a hum at the end and it took off like a rocket in the sky. Three years later in 2017, also in April... Paula encountered a terrifying winged being in the same area. She was taking the garbage out just before 6 a.m. 
when something drew her eye from across the street. And in the early morning gloom, she saw a huge winged being. Paula described the being as being perhaps seven to eight feet tall when standing fully erect. But it carried itself hunched over, limping along. It was completely black, and from what she could see, the upper body and the head were both covered in hair. The being had long, leathery wings, which were partially wrapped around the body as it moved towards Paula. Jumping forwards, similarly to watching someone move through a strobe light, the terrifying creature made an unnatural groaning noise as it advanced. That's kind of creepy. This thing's kind of like phasing in and out of, you know, existence. That's just fucking wild. Paula felt a palpable sense of evil emanating from the bat-winged monster. Oh, Lord Jesus, baby Jesus, sweet Jesus. Sweet little Lord Jesus, baby in a tuxedo. This thing is evil. I'm seeing evil. <laughs> Fearing for her safety, she quickly turned to flee back into her apartment. After fumbling with her keys for a moment, she opened the door and turned around, terrified that the creature might be behind her. But it was gone. Paula said that she's only known a few of her neighbors personally, and unfortunately the one she knew had not witnessed either event. Although one of her neighbors, whom she said she was friends with, did take her encounter seriously. I don't know what to say, but I know what I saw. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it's a nice little end cap there. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, we got one more story here of a similar being. This one comes from a woman who wants to remain anonymous in the context, but she says, My husband was returning home last night on February 22nd at approximately 8 p.m. from a trip to Walgreens. While driving home, he saw something coming across the road from Dewfield Pond from the entrance on the Country Club Road in Woodstock, Illinois. He said it was approximately one-third the width of the road and about eight to nine feet tall and part of it looked leathery, but he wouldn't call it leather exactly. He said he's interested in speaking to you about it, but this afternoon he didn't seem ready to talk. I've asked him if he could sketch out what he saw before he forgets, and he indicated that he's not going to forget what he saw. Just wanted to give you a heads up and wondered if you had recently had any other reports from the Woodstock vicinity. Now, shortly after receiving this report, another email was sent. The wife said, the husband will call you tomorrow if that's okay. I was home when this happened, so don't, uh, so didn't see anything. All I know is I believe my husband. I did go out to Dewfield this morning because we've had snow and ice and slush just to see if there's any traces of whatever this was. There were a lot of tracks and prints near the entrance, mostly boot prints, but some didn't look quite like boots. However, it's hard to tell, so I took photos of the area. Now, what she has here, I didn't want to give you guys to put up or give you to put up on the uh, the YouTube. It looks like someone's boot print with maybe a dog print coming off the sides. So if you kind of squint at it, it's like a weird two-toed Ninja Turtle print, but it's not really worth including. Now, the husband was able to speak over the telephone. He said he thought that it might have been a Bigfoot initially, but then noticed that it had a large set of membrane-like wings attached to its back extending over the top of its head. He described the shape of the wings as that of a gargoyle. The body was about eight or nine feet in height and covered in dark fur. 
The arms and legs were well-defined, and he didn't notice any facial features. He got an excellent look at the creature since his headlights illuminated it, and the light from the conservation area backlit the beast as well. The creature bears striking resemblance to the one described by an Indiana man who claimed to have been abducted as a young child back in 1969. So again, similar to Floyd's experience. He also stated that he had felt like it was a warning or a harbinger of some kind. He did mention also Nephilim in later conversations when discussing the encounter. He said the creature had upset him and he was unable to talk about it until the next day. Now, they did contact him later on February 25th by phone, and the unidentified witness confirmed the story that he had told the Singular 14 Society and said that he or his wife would visit the area and try to find better footprints in the mud. But they have not received any photos. They go on to show different photos of the area. It's your typical kind of, you know, woodsy area in late winter with the trees all dead, lots of slush and everything else. Some ambiguous photos of footprints and everything else, but nothing else is really noteworthy here. And again, the article goes on to say this is just one of many in a string of sightings around Lake Michigan that begin back in 2017. So there's more here to share about the Lake Michigan Mothman sightings, but I got to finish this book because it's not just full of just tons of different sightings. It's actually written as a narrative to, you know, the actual investigation that Tobias and his team went on to do. So that part's going to push us over into a what, Preston? Ooh, part three. Part three. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that we probably won't do for another six months, and maybe Isaac, you son of a bitch, will write us another song. <laughs> no, I'll have this bad boy finished up by the weekend, and we'll be ready to go next week, buddy. Ooh, Don't you ooh, worry. Ooh, I'm not ooh. about that life of uh, three-part episodes that span the course of four months. <laughs> All right, pal. Well, if there's nothing else to add, I just want to say thanks, everybody, for joining us, for watching and listening along. Thanks for the live chat. Lazarus, we appreciate you, buddy. Oh, he he's, he said that, uh, fuck you, dude. You're not paying me ex- in experience. <laughs> You're paying me in beard balm. Yeah, that's very true. He also mentioned, too, that Birdman figures were prominent images on the mound culture ritual objects, so potentially ancient Mothman worship. Oh, boy. Oh. Well, speaking to YouTube, if you're watching us or live or, you know, in hindsight, please like and subscribe. I've seen a little bit of an uptick in the subscriptions on the YouTubes. Preston, where are we at right now? Do you know? 291. Uh, Very nice. 11. 11 subscribers on Rumble. Man, apparently <laughs> all those kooky conspirators like to watch. They just don't like to follow directions and like and subscribe. Yeah. But, man. Those Dungeons and Dragon videos over there on uh, Rumble, uh, man, they're getting a lot of views. I'm shocked. I'm yeah. surprised. We got like four followers on a kick. Uh, so, hey, you know what? Thanks. We appreciate the love. Yeah. You know, maybe one day kick will take off. Maybe it won't. I don't know. People on Rumble like three things. Pizzagate, Adrenochrome, and Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we can effectively scratch one of those itches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. If you're on uh, Instagram, give us a follow. We are at PXL Paranormal. On Facebook, we are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. 
Preston, why don't you hit me with some of that sweet, sweet big dobs? Oh my god, dude! I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to brag, but I really outdid myself. Not only for you, because I did this for you uh-huh. too, but for oh, Alan, thanks, pal. But for Alan, need a beard? Want a beard? Want to grow the best damn beard? Well, ladies and gentlemen, have we got a saucy night in store for you? Picture this: you and Richard Gear. And the captivating movie, The Mothman Prophecies. But hold on tight because we got something that will make this night even more unforgettable. Introducing Big Dob's Beard Bomb, now available in the classic scent. Get ready to unleash your inner Richard Geard with a beard that's smoother than his suave moves on the silver screen. You and Richard sitting side by side, engrossed in a thrilling mystery of The Mothman Prophecies. As the tension builds, you'll be reaching for your beard, only to find it softer softer than the feather touch of Mr. Gear himself. But wait, there's more. Use promo code PXLPARA at checkout and get a whopping 20% off your order. That's right, folks. You can save some cash while you prepare for your saucy night with Richard Gear and the enigmatic Mothman. Big Dobbs Beard Bomb, the secret weapon for a night of passion and intrigue. With our classic scent, your beard will be irresistible, just like Richard Gere is in his prime. So don't miss out on the limited time <laughs> offer. Head over to BigDobbsBeardBomb.com and again use promo code PXLPARA for that sweet, sweet, sweet 20% discount. Get ready to make Richard Gere jealous of your luscious, well-groomed beard. Get it all. Get it. Adopts. Yeah. Nice. I think we may need to have Dobbs make us our official smell. And I think it should be some kind of musk with, like, leather into it. And it could be called something like, you know, Mothman's Leathery Wings or Mothman's Leather Musk or, you know, Dapper dapper Mothman or something like that. But I think think we're getting closer. Now we just got to convince him. The sacred Wendigo sack. <laughs> That'll work too, man. I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what the name of this movie was that had Michelle Pfeiffer and there was like a ghost wife that got murdered. I just can't find the damn thing. I know I'm gonna figure it out as soon as I uh, get it off. Was, uh, oh, it well. was uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford. Was it Harrison Ford? Okay, it was Harrison Ford. Yeah, because he was having an affair and then he he killed uh-huh. the mistress and then she kept haunting Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, damn, I'm looking and can't find it anywhere. But in the meantime, if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by see Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. And also stop by and see our friends over at the Paranormal Experience Food Truck and also Paranormal.cafe. All right, with that, I raise this mug of pumpkin beer and say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and 